Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Amy Hull, Director and Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Paycor Incorporated. Paycor helps leaders develop their people and build winning teams. Their human capital management software, customized industry solutions, and focus on talent development <laughs> helps companies build a great place to work. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So one of the first questions I have for you, how have diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts changed as a result of COVID-19, do you think? A lot. It's forced so many people to not just think about work, but think about the whole person at work and how people work best and more efficiently. So I think it would be of no surprise to anyone listening that, you know, that forced home for that period of time that everybody was shut down, there was this, you know, immediate sense of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, we have this, we have this building and we have these people and we're supposed to be here and we're supposed to be doing this and come to find out so many businesses actually outperformed themselves, (laughs) um, when they started working from home. And so I would say, obviously, the largest shift in that from a diversity lens, from a DEI lens, is moving into the home as their work site has relieved some of the pressures for many families, women. I know, you know, with the McKinsey report for women in the workplace, establishing that, you know, women primarily took a large amount of the burden in families as a result of whether people were passing from COVID or dealing even just with physical ailments, you know, their kids being home and homework challenges, (laughs) all the things that go along with that, that probably has been the largest shift in relieving some of that pressure and knowing, hey, actually, this helps them work better um, and more efficiently because they're able to adapt and make those flexible changes for themselves if needed. So I would say that that is definitely the largest outcome is that now uh, we're seeing trends where, you know, I think that there's a projection out there that almost half of our workforce will be working from home in the next fiscal year. So pretty impactful from that perspective. Yeah. And I know um, as much as employees and employers alike have enjoyed the flexibility that comes with remote working, one concern is with everyone being in the home is how belonging is affected in the workplace since you're not seeing your coworkers in person. Yeah. Do you have any advice to employers who are trying to make sure that every employee feels seen, heard, and belongs in the company even when we're separated by miles and screens? Yeah. So obviously with every change, there's, you know, you're going to have some, some benefits and you're going to have some, some disadvantages or some challenges that you might have to face that you didn't have to before. And this is definitely one of them. That sense of connectivity can be a little lost when you're in this virtual environment, so to speak, or even a hybrid one, because there are some that, you know, they're working from home three days a week, but on the computer two days a week. So they still get a little connectivity in the office or wherever their workplace is. For those that are fully virtual, 
that sense of connectivity to others, as well as how do I fit in here is tough. So advice that I have is it definitely takes intention. Like you have to be intentional in HR practices, in DEI practices, to be sure that you're setting some type of regular, consistent programming or initiatives that allow for people to connect with each other. And then as it relates to inclusion and that sense of belonging, there also has to be something there that helps create an environment of psychological safety. So that takes some time to develop your leaders from an emotional intelligence perspective. One of the ways that I feel like that is best done is to really invest in training your employees in emotional intelligence and allowing them time to practice it. Doing that 60, that one-time 60-minute training or that one-time 45-minute webinar or whatever it is, is great, right? You get like a foundational level of information, but if you don't do anything with it, it's worthless. So building an actual plan around how are you going to allow your employees to practice using emotional intelligence to practice how to give effective feedback to their employees that's positive, not you know always constructive feedback, but actually random 30 second feedback. You know, it doesn't have to be extensive or like a whole 30 minute phone call. It's a quick note, a quick email. Those things make people feel like, oh, like they're listening to me. Surveys that ask questions that you wouldn't normally ask, like, do you actually feel like many people don't even ask the question? Do you feel a sense of belonging in the workplace? Do you feel like we're addressing issues that are important to you or that you're passionate about? These are things that are important to ask because it shows the employee that they are being heard and listened to and that it's more than just their work performance that matters. And building that sort of diverse and inclusive company culture, obviously, like you said, starts from listening to your employees, giving them a platform to listen to and knowing how to and using emotional intelligence. So kind of in the same vein, what do you think are the the biggest challenges or roadblocks that face companies when they're trying to get this kind of rolling and working? There's a few. I would say if the whole leadership is not bought in, it's not going to go well. So if it's just the HR team, you know, that is trying to push this and everybody else doesn't really care about it. If the top-down leadership is not communicating this and making time for it, or if there's a middle management gap of communication, those are typically the two largest reasons that anything won't move forward. But especially when it comes to taking care of people, if the ultimate goal and mission of the company is let's just churn out these products and make this money, people will feel that. And they'll know that, you know, they'll say, oh, we care about our people. And then people will be like, yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever he said, you know, like it's not, it doesn't feel genuine and authentic. Right. So there has to be this actual genuine constant flow of communication from the leadership and then from that, there obviously has to be some level of financial investment and time in this conversation as well. Are you incorporating these conversations in your performance reviews? Are you incorporating these conversations in your weekly, monthly, quarterly cadences of meetings to have discussions about? 
those I would say are the largest challenges, people not making time, people not investing money and people not making it a priority. You know, that saying, put your money where your mouth is, did not just come out of thin air. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people literally invest the time in what's important to them. And so employees can see and feel that. Do you think that this sort of like people first attitude is a recent trend or do you think it's slowly been building and gaining traction over time? I think it's slowly been building and then there have been events recently that have just thrust that forward faster. No one goes into the workplace thinking that they want to ignore their employees on purpose. But I do think that sometimes, you know, through the day to day, through the operating procedures and and trying to get the work done, that that can be forgotten. So there has to be a level of intent. And that's just human nature. I, I would say I would, you know, pull that even into people's personal relationships. You know, you get into that's when people say I get stuck in a rut. That means like you got used to the day to day and you started forgetting about the little things. Um, and so you have to be intentional just like you would in your personal relationships. It's no different in the workplace. That's really good advice. So you had mentioned that it has to be a, a group leadership effort to drive DEI initiatives. So what do you kind of recommend to facilitate that sort of teamwork and prioritization of keeping that in the forefront of people's minds in their day-to-day and overall? If you want to start driving diversity, equity, inclusion in your workplace, it can't be like, we're going to go do this thing over here. Like I always say, you know, I use quotation marks around the word, we're going to do diversity, you know, like it's this thing. It, It is no different. Diversity, equity, inclusion should be infused in every aspect of the business in the employee life cycle. It's no different than almost an HR department. You know, the DEI field, if you will, department section is kind of a subset of HR because it has to do with people, but it almost is its own little HR world because it still has to be in benefits and comp. It still has to be in learning and development. It still has to be in talent acquisition. It still has to be in, you know, all of the... It's like the center of the most complicated Venn diagram. Correct, <laughs> yes. And then you also have to understand the nuances in each section. So using Paycor as an example, as, as a HCM company, mostly IT software, you know, those kinds of things, we have sales, we have marketing, we have product, we have IT, we have engineering. There's different nuances of what's needed for diversity, equity, inclusion in each one of those and for PayCorps as a whole. So I think the best advice I have for anyone wanting to start a DEI journey with their company is you have to get the data first and not rely on one singular person forever to be able to manage that. So Getting the data first, getting a strategic plan in place that addresses those specific gaps for your company. There is no cookie cutter way to address DEI across the board. While I appreciate many of the initiatives coming down the line and people offering, you know, this is the way to solve your problem, unless it is giving you a process to follow that would be specific for you it's tough to follow those cookie cutter approaches sometimes. Right. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk to you a little bit about what drives your passion for DE&I because you've put so much thought into this and the amount of which you care is present in every single response you've given me thus far. I feel like it's so much. Um, Yeah. 
I will say from a personal standpoint, it's been ingrained in me in the background of my family and just my dad um, having been, he was significantly older than my mom. And so he grew up in like the depression and World War II and <laughs> that era and being a black man in that environment in Cincinnati in the 40s faced so much stuff. I mean, like, I can't even begin to explain all of the things that he had to overcome as a teenager uh, in high school. Yeah. Being made to wear blackface because he was not dark enough to be black and had to perform in a minstrel show in order to be in a choir. Oh my God. I mean, like, this was like his experience. And then overcoming all of that and being like one of the first black people to do many things, integrating things across the city. So like personally, my passion is I don't ever want anyone to feel like they can't be what they want to be and they have to perform or do these ridiculous things just to exist in the world. That is the largest passion I have for it. I would say the next layer is now that I have my own children, I'm raising two boys that are of color and, you know, going through this world. And so this work for me now is what can I do to make it a better place for them? I'm just one person, <laughs> but, and, you know, clearly would love to solve all of the world's ills if I had the strength, uh, resources and time. But I would say those are the two largest reasons that fuel the passion I have in this area. But I mean, the bottom line is I just want everybody to be who they want to be without the barriers of systems standing in their way. Yeah, no, that's, that's really true. And your lived experience and your family's lived experience is so close, like obviously close to that. Like, And I'm so happy for you that you're able to make a difference within companies, kind of putting forward your own personal beliefs and values into helping others. Yeah. I recently did a visit to a manufacturing company in the area and they indicated that changing one family's, like one person's wealth or opportunity affects 14 other people. Oh, wow. If you think about, because you're, you're changing a family. So if you think about, I'm going to give this one person an opportunity to rise up the ladder who may or may not have already had that opportunity you have changed their lives, but by changing their life, you've now impacted their spouse, their parents, their children, and the family coming up underneath, right? Because you're changing opportunity for the ones behind you as well. So it makes a lot of sense. But that's another thing that kind of drives me is if one person, you know, if I, can I go through a, a whole year and just one person says, wow, you totally changed my outlook on this. I don't think I'll ever be the same again. Then I've actually impacted more than just that one person. So those are the things, you know, those little wins continue to drive the motivation to keep going. Because this is not the easiest work to do. There are a lot of barriers and there's frustrations. And I tell people all the time, if, if you don't get angry or frustrated or sad or mad or whatever, at some point, then you're not doing the work right. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's a part of the job, but that's where self-care also comes in play. So you have to remember to do that too. I know, especially when you're emotionally invested and you care so deeply about your work, it's hard to find that sort of balance, but 
it's great to know that that ripple effect, you're able to see it kind of firsthand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was a former educator, so familiar with that, you know, that education is pretty thankless most of the time. And so you kind of live from that one student who comes back and goes, you're my favorite teacher, or I wouldn't be where I was without you. Like those moments carry you from one to the next. So it's a familiar feeling, I guess I would say for me in that perspective. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. My mom's also, um, she's a teacher now. It's the kids who she's made a positive impact on, I think, that keeps her going. Because like you said, it's a thankless job when you're trying to educate people or help people or just work with people in general. It's definitely not the money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely not. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, So since this episode always airs on a Friday, my favorite question to ask people is, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, I am happily participating in this on Friday, but I'm actually taking a self-care day. That's awesome. So I'm really looking forward to that. I have, uh, like I said, I have two boys. They both play travel baseball. So I am often, for example, this past Sunday, we left the house around, I don't know, it was probably 6 a.m. I got to the fields around 6.45 and we did not, we were on the fields until about 9.45 that night. Oh my God. Like it was a 14 hour baseball day. It's long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't often get a lot of time for me. So it'll be really great to have that. But then, of course, more baseball. So looking forward to some good weather, though. We had some rainy days this week. So I'm looking forward to um, some sunshine and just sitting outside in some good weather. I hope you get plenty of rest and relaxation on on your personal day. Thank you. And I hope you really enjoy spending time watching your boys play baseball, too. Yeah, it is. It's a blast. They're good boys. I'm, I'm really excited. I love, you know, team mom and... As best as I can, I tell them I can do all the administrative things, but if you want me to start making stuff, I'm out. <laughs> you'll handle the logistics. You'll have some other parent on the team handle the uh, orange slices and what have you. <laughs> yeah, I can book the hotels. I can I can do all those things, but um, but no, I I really love engaging, and and they both have really phenomenal coaches that care about them as people, not just trying to win games all the time. I mean, they do well, but. Yeah. The, the caring about having fun and having a good time on the team is so important, especially in youth sports. Yeah. So it's a, it's fun watching them grow up. You know, it's cool seeing those little pieces of them start to surface in different ways. So it's exciting. That's fantastic. Thank you again so much for joining me today, Amy. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. I had a great time. Thank you for having me here and the opportunity to share. Yeah, of course. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.